Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Viral, a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. On the podcast today, we look at Ireland's childcare plan during phase one of reopening the country and whether it puts early years professionals at risk during the process. From May 18th, my department will oversee the provision of childcare in the homes of essential healthcare workers. This is part of the first phase of easing the COVID-19 restrictions. Participation will be voluntary. Many services have expressed an interest in supporting this initiative and being part of Ireland's call during these challenging times. That was Catherine Zappone, Minister for Children and Youth Affairs, speaking on Wednesday about the government's plans to begin the phased reopening of childcare facilities and play schools around Ireland. As part of the plan, personnel from the sector are due to begin working in the homes of Ireland's healthcare workers. The terms of this agreement, however, have caused some dispute within the sector, particularly around concerns on potentially unsafe working conditions. In the weeks following, preschools and creches will begin to open again on a staggered basis, as described by Minister Zappone here. We've also commenced planning for phase three, which will see the phased reopening of creches and preschools for the children of essential workers. This is the first step in the phased reopening of centre-based childcare. It is inevitable that childcare services will not open at full capacity. On today's podcast, we look at how Ireland's childcare plan will be implemented in phase one and whether it's possible to do so in a manner that prevents further contagion of COVID-19. To do so, we are joined by Teresa Heaney, CEO of Early Childhood Ireland, Noreen Hayes, visiting professor at the School of Education, Trinity College Dublin, and first in discussion, Jennifer Whitmore, Social Democrat TD for Wicklow. Before COVID, the early childhood sector was already at breaking point because of things like insurance premiums and high turnover of staff. As we know, services are closing their doors now for good. What has your reaction been to some of the confusion we've witnessed around what services will be available to parents in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think you're right. What we've seen over the last number of years is there just simply hasn't been the investment that we needed in childcare. So it is a sector that struggles a lot. Um, it's it's an area that parents find very difficult to fund um, and also it's very difficult for providers to provide the service that they need to provide at the level that they can provide it. So I think once COVID hit, it was one of those areas that fractured or found it very difficult very quickly. Um, and obviously the initial response was to bring childcare and children out of those um, uh, areas, you know, that, that they were all closed down and that was important to do from a health perspective. But there was a lot of uncertainty then about what that meant for the providers. 
they already operate a lot of them on very narrow margins, particularly, you know, the, the ECI schemes, which are very much sort of public funded. So it was very difficult for them and there was a lot of uncertainty about what it meant. Mm. Now, there was measures brought out and they were things like the staff were still going to receive a payment from the government. And the government also paid then for 15% of the staff costs for each of the providers. Now, when that initially came out, there was, you know, I had a lot of people coming to me saying they were very concerned that they didn't think their business would get through Mm. um, and that they weren't going to be able to manage And that actually, unfortunately for some businesses, it has hit them hard. And I have heard of a number of instances where there have been closures. So that not only is difficult for the business owners, but it's also very difficult for parents. Because, you know, as you know, when you have children and you have them in a creche or in a childcare facility, you spend a lot of time trying to find the right one and one that really works for your child and your child is comfortable in and that you're comfortable with as well. And you get very attached to that childcare facility. And when that's gone, it's very difficult to to find a replacement. So there's a lot of worry out there amongst parents about whether once we start getting back to work and the country starts opening up again, you know, will there be uh, childcare available for them? And that's just, I suppose, uh, for the general populace, you know, uh, associated with that. Then we also have the the parallel problem at the moment of of the frontline healthcare workers and who minds their children while they're providing such a vital healthcare service for us. Can we speak a little bit about that then? Do you think it's fair to ask early childhood educators to go into frontline workers' homes and essentially childmind in a high-risk environment because it's a difficult thing to do and I know there isn't pressure that everyone has to do it but I suppose there's a lot of social pressure to do it as well. Should this be then extended out to the wider education system as well? Why aren't primary and secondary school teachers also being asked to do this? So I think it, it is a difficult thing to ask people. Um, I know there have been a lot of discussions. The department has done, you know, they've, they've uh, had a lot of discussions and have consulted on it. And the solution that they came up with was that essentially the children with frontline healthcare workers would go into the homes of childcare providers. You know, I, I do wonder about whether there could be better alternatives, you know, going into the home of someone. Um, it's going to be a lot more difficult to ensure, I suppose, from a hygiene perspective that there's you know no risk i think it might have been easier to do it in a setting like a crash where you could get you know industrial cleaners in to make sure everything was okay you know things like that so i think it is a difficult one i know the medical advice is that the safest is to go into the home of the frontline worker and that the NFAT have, have said that, that that's the way they want it. And there was very little consideration, I think, of the of going into the creches. But personally, I would feel the creches would be an easier place to manage. And, you know, this is something I suppose I raised. I raised in the door yesterday because, we, you know, I, I had an opportunity to put some questions to the minister yesterday. And I did ask, you know, other countries have used schools. They've used community centres. They've used creches. And we do have a lot of physical resources of the state, and I'm wondering whether we should actually be making more use of those over the summer months. If you were in a in a school environment, there'd be much greater uh, capacity for social distancing. If you're in someone's house, it's going to be a lot more difficult to keep any uh, distance, you know. So I think there could have been more consideration looking outside at other alternatives and perhaps maybe looking at how other countries have dealt with it, because I know there are some countries where they are using schools at the moment for not just frontline health workers, but also for, say, particularly vulnerable children. And this will be something that I would have quite a concern about as well. You know, during the lockdown, 
what we've seen is that um, children's really their lives have been stopped you know their social interactions have stopped they're now at home and for most children that will be okay they'll you know they they will manage it It, it's a, a different way of living but they will get through it but there will be some children who are already particularly vulnerable um and you know there could be instances of, of, of child abuse that we're just not aware of mm. and these children are now in the homes with, with their abusers. So there might be an opportunity perhaps for particularly vulnerable children who do need um, you know, extra care and could be under the care of Tusla maybe at the moment. Perhaps they also could go and you know, be, be looked after outside their home environment. The difficulty is that the clock is really clicking down at the moment and actually today it's just uh, become apparent that one of the, the, well, actually the only insurer in the country that, that insures mm. um, childcare providers have actually made a statement essentially to say that they won't support and they won't cover the providers going into the homes of the essential care workers in, in this outreach scheme. And where does that leave us then? Are we back to square one on that issue or what are the risks involved for those who are going to carry out this work? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, this is a voluntary scheme that's up to each individual provider. But if your insurer is telling you that they won't insure you for any, and it is only in relation to the COVID issue, you know, their, their insurance will continue for all other eventualities, but the risk of COVID that the insurer won't won't insure them for. So I think it will be a very difficult decision for a, a childcare provider to take to actually go in without having that insurance in place. You know, I've, I've made a call to the department and the government today to sit down with the insurance companies because this is something that they're really going to have to resolve and resolve quickly mm. um, because it, we, we can't have any more delays with this. You know, the frontline workers have been, have been waiting a while in order to get this um, programme up and running. It looked like that, you know, there was a solution, albeit perhaps not a perfect one, but I don't know if, if we're really in a world of perfect solutions at the moment, you know, but even with the solution that, that was being offered um, by the department, it would seem that there could be some major barriers to that, such as the insurance issue. And when the dust settles in COVID and everything that goes after it, I suppose, what do you think we can learn about how the earlier sector is run in this country? Should there be more state involvement or is it still a functioning business model as an independent business? Look, personally, and, and from, from the Social Democrats' perspective, we believe in, in a public public. Uh, childcare system you know that, I think that's something that that would be a key principle of ours but it's also something I think that's really been highlighted over the last period is how important our public services are and you know and how important investment in those services are so that we have a, a properly functioning public sector and that would include the childcare sector um, and that's really been highlighted since COVID happened I would hope that we would learn from the experiences that we've just gone through, that when we come out of this period and, and hopefully we'll be able to, to manage coming out soon enough. Um, but I hope when we do come out of it that we take some of the learnings from the last few months and really make sure that we strengthen our systems. Because the reality is we don't know whether COVID or another pandemic or even, you know, some crisis coming out of climate change, we will be hit with these sort of major events, I think, a lot more going into the future. And so it's only really through good investment in things like childcare and our public services will we have a very strong um, community and economy um, and society that can withstand these major, major challenges. It's just been amazing, actually, with the public sector, how, how um, really that they, they just played a blinder. You look at the guards, you look at the frontline healthcare workers, you know, they really have, have put so much back 
into the community over the last while and, and have demonstrated how important it is that we keep those services strong. So from a, from a childcare perspective, um, you know, Ireland needs to, we, we absolutely need to invest more. I think a public childcare sector is really the way we should be aiming. It's, it's what we should be moving towards. I think it certainly would meet parental needs. And I think for children, it, it would be a much better approach to take as well. Um, and I think it would also give a level of security to staff and, and people who manage these services, you know, that they would know that they were sustainable and they wouldn't constantly feel like, are they going to go under, you know? So I think it would be a win-win uh, across the board, actually, for, for people involved in the sector. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Teresa Heaney is the CEO of Early Childhood Ireland, the country's largest member-based early years organisation, and feels that the consultation process during the pandemic has not been strong enough. Back when services were closed, what we would have done was recognise that there was no uh, mechanism to contribute to a discussion about what frontline childcare would look like, despite the fact that that became an issue pretty immediately, certainly in the public domain. So what we did, what Early Childhood Ireland did at that time was we just decided to do our own research and consult with our members ourselves to see what they thought about it themselves and what would concern them and what kind of provisions that they would expect to see in place. So that, I suppose, has been informing our own submissions to the department. So in terms of consultation, that's what we've done. But, you know, so that was from us into the department uh, just because there was no consultation structure. And every time that I suppose we were waiting to hear about what a scheme would look like, it seemed that the issue was permanently on the agenda of the NFET, uh, the National Committee, but it never seemed quite to make it to the top of the agenda because other issues seemed to, to push it down the agenda, things like Oh, I don't know, the deaths in nursing homes or access to PPE and so on and so forth. Those other key issues that I suppose we've been hearing about from the media over the past number of weeks. And 
then it seemed to reach the top of the agenda last week and uh, and there was an announcement we made on was it last Friday that something was going to be introduced with Friday of the bank holiday weekend? I think that was when we were told that that a decision had been made to introduce a model and that it would be a home-based model. So we've, like everybody else in the sector, then we had access to a question and answer session with the minister on Tuesday evening, the minister and her officials. I think it was Tuesday evening anyway. And... Um, and so we're all then just really basically trying to read the FAQs, read the guidance documents and see what it looks like and see what it means. I would have to say that on foot of it, it, it seems really complex. What we're hearing from our members is that it's, it's overly complex. Already a lot of our members would have difficulty participating because... Mm-hmm. They are now looking after their parents or because they have children of their own at home or because some of their, you know, they, somebody in their close family is compromised or there are, you know, um, immune issues and, and so on. So already the number of people that would want to make themselves available is drastically reduced, I would say. And now it seems that some of the hurdles that are being asked to have to be jumped to to deliver this scheme, I think for a lot of the members that we're hearing from are just too great. Obviously, there's huge concerns about the insurance issue, um, but also the fact that staff have to be guard vetted again uh, is an issue. And the fact, I suppose our members can guarantee their the, the quality of their, their service when it's happening in their own centre. This isn't going to be happening in their centre. It's going to be happening in a home. And that's one more step removed. Makes them, uh, doesn't give them confidence that they can stand over, I suppose, what's being delivered. Outside of the scheme, then down the line, there is going to be a phase reopening mm-hmm. of centres around Ireland and a more mm-hmm. centre-based programme. What has that consultation process been like? And have you any concerns about what that might look like? Yeah, there hasn't been, that hasn't begun, that discussion hasn't begun yet. I mean, we obviously have been asking the department to um, engage. We ourselves, again, are beginning our own consultation process. We've uh, assigned a team of staff to, to, to work on the issue. But one of the key things that we're going to do beginning today, actually, is beginning to survey members and uh, create a reference group of members who would, you know, um, interrogate some suggestions uh, about what reopening might look like. You know, what what ratios might might need to be, what floor space might need to be. Um, there's a lot of guidance internationally about what's been recommended. I mean, some of the things, some of the reasons why early years is well placed, I suppose, to, to, to reopen is that it's a very highly regulated sector. There are already highly regulated hygiene practices in, in early year settings. So a lot of those changes will be shifts, but not not dramatic shifts. Noreen Hayes is one of the country's leading early childhood specialists and visiting professor at the School of Education, Trinity College, Dublin. She has been campaigning for structural reform and better working conditions within the sector for years. I think that there's no doubt about it that this particular pandemic has highlighted the critical role that early childhood and school-age childcare services provide in contemporary society. I mean, we live in a society which is built in such a way that the 
care of young children is increasingly shared. And this crisis has also shone a light on the very fragile state of the uh, the sector in terms of supporting itself. So I do think a rethink is going to be necessary and it can only be done in collaboration with people who know the sector well. I think that possibly from my perspective, looking at it as somebody who's observed the development of policy and practice over the last well, probably 30 years now, I think that there is a need rather than rush in with some quick decision to do this or quick decision to do that. I think there's a, an opportunity and a need to actually stand back um, look at what has arisen as a consequence of the crisis, but look at it in terms of of all of the various kind of innovations and supports and different instruments that have been been used and developed in the field and try to see if there is a way of bringing together the good elements of the services that we have with the less than successful sort of systems that we have as well. Um, and if there was a willingness, and I think there is on, on both parts at a government level and at a sectoral level to really look and see what is needed in the field. I think one of the things, Ian, if I can say this, is mm. that we probably need to start looking at these services as services for children um, and then thinking about them because the, a lot of the discourse around childcare uh, has been around, uh, and, and I can fully understand this, has been around the needs of parents. But if we consistently think of childcare as a service to parents, we aren't actually thinking about it as a service for children and the people who are working directly with children. And do you feel then that policy implementations we've seen in previous years kind of suggests that the government see this sector's primary function as one to assist parents working rather than an educational service for the kids? Yes. I, I mean, when I say yes, so certainly I don't wish to uh, suggest that they're, that the children aren't thought of at all. I mean, child protection is a very big issue, for example, and, and is thought of in, 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 in detail. And the um, support services that are emerging are, are about helping and supporting best practice. But actually, if you listen and look at the driving kind of engine behind getting change, it is often the affordability issue for parents, how to make childcare available to parents and bringing in such initiatives as, for example, the, the free preschool years, which sound very laudable and indeed are very laudable, but they were brought in, particularly the first one, very quickly and without much consideration of what might happen in that year and how to support staff to provide that year within the structures of this new system. And then the second year was brought in without any close kind of revision of the first year. So they do seem to be reactive to public pressure. So, so that's, I suppose, my sense that we could think about reviewing early childhood education and care in particular as an educational service. I think school-age childcare is more about play and recreation and actually recognising that children have had a schooling experience. That's one of the difficulties with childcare, isn't it? It looks different depending on the age of the children. That was episode 24 of Viral COVID-19. I would like to thank Jennifer Whitmore, Teresa Heaney and Noreen Hayes for joining me on today's podcast. We will be back next week with more news on Ireland's response to the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm Ian Doyle. I'll talk to you then. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, fresh. 